1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. You'll notice we're, um, we're nearing the end of this letter of 1 John. Just one more week to go after this, and then we move into Advent and the Christmas season. And in many ways, 1 John, it's a great letter to sort of camp out in and spend time in at this time of year. Because in 1 John, the beginning of 1 John, if you want to flick back to chapter 1, John starts with the coming of Jesus into the world. 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John starts with the coming of Jesus. And he keeps returning to the coming of Jesus all the way through the letter. And here in chapter 5, as we're beginning to wrap up the letter, he's talking about the coming of Jesus and the difference the coming of Jesus makes. For John, Jesus coming into the world is the most important and life-changing event in human history with the power to change anyone and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. And it's, it's, it's worth pointing out, many of you maybe know this, that 1 John's not the only book we have in the New Testament written by the Apostle John. Um, we've got two other letters um, written by him, usually referred to, not very imaginatively, it's 1 John, then 2 John, and then 3 John, so they're straight after this one. There's also the Gospel of John, one of the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Here's how John begins his Gospel account of the life of Jesus. He says, verse 1 of chapter 1, the word became flesh. Sorry, verse 14, I should say. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, if you um, enjoy Christmas at all, those are maybe very familiar words. You hear them maybe at carol services, they're in Christmas cards. But actually, when you really stop and think about what John is saying here, it is mind-blowing what he's trying to communicate here. According to John, the eternal, pre-existent Son of the living God, referred to as the Word, 
became flesh, he says. Became human, became one of us and made his dwelling among us, drew near to us, came as close to us as it's possible to be. John's telling us God, the living God, has come near to us in the person of Jesus and he's become flesh. The idea of flesh is so important to John and he's done that in order to save us and to welcome us into God's family. And if you really think about it, that is a shocking statement to make. Actually, the incarnation of Jesus, God becoming flesh, is still one of the most difficult problems, really, many Muslim and Jewish people have with the Christian gospel. It just sounds offensive to them. But according to John, it may be shocking, outrageous, mind-blowing, but it is true. It actually happened in human history 2,000 years ago, and it's good news for anyone and everyone who accepts this message. Because in Jesus, John says, we can have victory over sin and death, and we can enjoy eternal life with the God who made us. And John wants his readers to know that. Again, if you've been here at all over the last few weeks and months, you might know, remember, we get quite a good picture of the original readers of 1 John here. And they were Christians living in the first century Asia Minor, that's like modern-day Turkey. And recently we learned that some people have left their churches and rejected what they've been teaching about Jesus. And more than that, those people have said, come with us. Stop listening to John and the other apostles. Listen to what we say about Jesus. And as a result, John's original readers, they're feeling weak. They're feeling discouraged, unsettled, probably full of doubts. And they would have been asking themselves, who are we kidding? Maybe we've got it wrong. Those guys who used to be with us, they say we've got it wrong. Maybe we should stop listening to John and the other apostles. Maybe we should listen to what, what the world tells us about Jesus instead. But you see, I hope we've seen again throughout this letter that, that John loves the Christians he's writing to. He loves them deeply. He keeps talking to them as, as dear friends, dear children, beloved. And he knows how weak and discouraged they are feeling. And so he writes this letter to encourage them. Keep trusting in Jesus because it's faith in Jesus that changes everything. And it's that word faith that dominates this last chapter of 1 John. If you were last week, we looked at 1 John chapter 4 really clearly. The dominant idea there is love. We even had a bar chart for it, I think bar graph, whatever it was for Mike. But love, love, love keeps coming out. God's love for us and the love we are to have for one another in response to God's love. But here in chapter 5, John shifts his focus from love onto faith. The importance and power of putting our faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. Look at verse 1 for a second. He writes this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Or verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes has faith that Jesus is the Son of God. John wants to say faith makes all the difference. It has power to change us. Faith in the Jesus of the gospel gives us victory over sin and death and eternal life with the living God. Jesus shares the victory he has won over sin and death with us through faith. And then he shares the relationship he has had with God the Father and God the Spirit throughout all eternity with us through faith. And so John urges his readers, both those in the first century and us today, remain in Jesus. Keep trusting in Jesus. Don't wander away from 
Jesus. At the heart of the Christian life is faith in Jesus. But actually that word faith is kind of a funny one. We're not always sure what to do with that word. For many of us, we think of faith as something sort of mysterious and hard to pin down. It's, it's a feeling. It's a subjective experience, something that some people have and some people don't. So you hear people say, I wish I had your faith, but I just don't. But you see, for John, faith is something much more solid than just a feeling. For John and across the whole Bible, what matters above all is not the amount of faith we may have, it's the object of our faith. Faith only is the power to save us if the object of our faith has the power to save us. Just an illustration of this. Imagine you're, you're standing by a frozen lake and you need to walk across it. You could step out on that ice with enormous faith, enormous confidence. This is fine. I'm going to get across the other side easy. If the ice is too thin, you're going to fall in and drown because it's the object of your faith that matters. Similarly, if, if you're sitting there looking over at the ice and you go, I need to get across, but I'm terrified. And you just take a step and another step and another step. But if the ice is strong enough, it will carry your weight. What matters is the thickness of the ice. And for us as Christians, when we hear the Bible talk about having faith, what matters is who are we trusting in? Who do we have faith in? Because if he is strong enough to carry our weight, then we're going to be okay. Again, think about John's original readers. They're, they're discouraged. They're weak. They're full of doubts. But John writes to reassure them. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then you will discover he can carry you. He can bear your weight. And John wants to introduce his readers afresh to Jesus in this passage to see how trustworthy and faithful he really is. And how is John so confident that Jesus can save everyone who trusts him? How is he so confident Jesus can, can bear our weight? Well, he's confident of that because of who Jesus is, because Jesus is the Jesus of the gospel for John. Now, again, John's original readers, the, the people who'd left the church probably still talked about Jesus a lot. They probably still called themselves Christians, but, but the Jesus they talked about was very different from the Jesus of the gospel. We can sort of piece together little pictures of, of this different Jesus these false teachers are, pre- are preaching about. Maybe he, he's a spiritual man. He, he's a great teacher who passes on spiritual knowledge to people. But, but he didn't come in the flesh. He's not God in the flesh because that's just unspiritual and a bit weird. And he certainly didn't, didn't have to die and shed his blood because, because actually all we needed to do was learn a bit more about God, didn't we? Like that idea of someone dying for you, that's, that's barbaric and violent and ugly. It's a very different Jesus that these false teachers are talking about. And John says, you need the real Jesus and faith in the real Jesus to carry your weight in this world. But of course we say, well, hang on, John, you say you've got the real Jesus. These guys say they've got the real Jesus. Who do we trust? And actually John then reminds us right at the beginning of this letter that he and the other apostles know what they're talking about. Chapter 1, verse 1, he writes this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John's reminding his readers here, actually, 
I was an eyewitness of Jesus. I knew Jesus. I heard him teach. I saw him in the flesh. I looked at him. My hands touched Jesus both before and after his resurrection. So if you want to answer the question, who is Jesus? We need to listen to John and the other eyewitnesses recorded for us in the New Testament. Again, there are loads of voices out there telling us who Jesus is. He was a good man. He's a great teacher. He's a social revolutionary. He's, he's any number of things. He's a prophet. But actually, for John and the other eyewitnesses, he is so, so much more than all those things. According to John and the other eyewitnesses, Jesus, he is the Christ. Verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The Christ, that just means God's long-promised king, anointed by God's spirit, come to put things right in God's world, come to call God's people to follow him. Then look at verse 5. Jesus, he's the Christ. He's also the son of God. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. He's, he's God. He's fully God. He's the second person of the Trinity, says, says John. He's, he became fully human for us. And he's fully able to defeat sin and death, to win the victory over those things, because he's God, says John. And then verse six, he uses a really interesting phrase. He says, Jesus, he's the one who came by water and the blood, verse six. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm guessing when you read that, as when I read that a few weeks ago, that's a bit of a baffling phrase. That's a strange idea. It's not a phrase that appears anywhere else in 1 John or anywhere else in the New Testament. So what is John telling us about Jesus here? Well, we're looking first of all at the phrase, by water. What does John mean by, by water? Well, apparently that phrase, by water, in the Greek, it appears in John's gospel, the other book that the Apostle John wrote. It appears three times, each time referring to John the Baptist and his ministry of baptizing people. So it seems that, that John's referring to Jesus' baptism at the hands of John the Baptist here. It's interesting because it seems the false teachers in 1 John, they're kind of happy to talk about Jesus coming by water. Maybe they believe that at Jesus' baptism, that's when this ordinary man, Jesus, received the Holy Spirit and then began sharing knowledge from God. But for John and the other apostles who were there, so much more was going on at the baptism of Jesus. At his baptism, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God by both God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Mark's Gospel picks it up. It says, a voice came from heaven proclaiming, you are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit descended on him like a dove. Jesus' baptism reveals that he really is the Son of God, who John says he is. But even more than that, at Jesus' baptism, Jesus identified himself fully with sinful humanity in order to save us. He was baptized as if he was an ordinary sinful human being to show he was here to help us and to save us. Again, just remember that scene, if you know anything about it, all these people are lining up on the banks of the River Jordan. And they're all getting ready to get baptized by John. And that baptism said and told a message to everyone. It said a message that I'm not okay on my own. I actually, I don't love God the way I should. I don't love people the way I should. I need to be forgiven. And so people were getting baptized by John. It was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
everyone standing on that riverbank in Jordan, they're admitting that they'd failed. And suddenly, here's the Son of God standing alongside them. And if they'd known who it was, they would have been terrified. They would have said, actually, God's the one we've offended. Maybe the Son of God is here to judge us. He's here to punish us, here to pour out his wrath on us. But instead of that, Jesus gets into the water with them. He joins them in the water. He chooses to stand alongside sinful humanity so that we could be rescued by him. One writer puts it like this. He says, Jesus joins us in our failures so we can join him in his family. Jesus came by water, John says, to stand with us, to be one of us and to save us as our representative, to save us from our sin. It's a precious truth about Jesus here. But John said he didn't just come by water. He also came by blood, we see in verse 6. And there's only one other reference to blood and Jesus' blood in 1 John right at the beginning of the letter, 1 John 1, verse 7, if you want to turn to that for a second. And we just, John writes there, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. By telling us that Jesus came by blood, John's reminding us that Jesus died on the cross for us. And that seems to be the part that the false teachers don't like. They don't like that idea of a, of a violent death of the Son of God for us. It sounds barbaric and ugly, and, and, and we didn't need it anyway. But for John, without the cross, we are lost. Without the blood of Jesus, we cannot be purified from our sin. It was Jesus' violent death on the cross that would save us, and he was willing to do that because he loves us. That refrain throughout, God loved us first. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. The cross is full of, of hard truths for us as human beings. The cross says that we're worse than we ever imagined we could be. That actually it took the son of God to die on a cross and shed his blood to win our forgiveness. That's what we're going to be thinking about in a little bit with bread and wine. That's how bad the situation was. But gloriously for John and for every man, woman, and child who trusts in Jesus, the cross is also the proof of we are loved more than we ever dreamed possible. This is love, says John. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. The Jesus of the gospel came by water and by blood by water to show he stands with us in our sin and our failures. By blood, he came to purify us from our sins and our failures if we trust in him. And then John adds a third witness to that in verse six. Again, he's got these two witnesses by the water and by the blood. And in Old Testament law, what you really need is three witnesses, two to three witnesses to convict anyone of, of an offense. If you know anything about the trial of Jesus, they're trying to get witnesses to agree to condemn Jesus. They can't do it. But in Old Testament law, you need two to three witnesses. And the third witness is the Holy Spirit, says John. Verse six and seven, the third person of the Trinity, God, who comes to live in us. Verse six, and it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Jesus came by water, by blood, and the Spirit 
proves it to us. How can we know that Jesus is who he says he is? How can we have faith in Jesus? John tells us through the testimony of God, verse 9, the apostles' gospel, the eyewitness gospel we've got, but also through the work of the Spirit in us. It's not enough just to read the gospel and go, yeah, I can, I can work this out. We need God's spirit to give us new life so that we can see Jesus and put our faith in him. So how we keep trusting in Jesus, we keep trusting him through the testimony of God. We keep going back to the Bible, to the gospels, to letters like 1 John. Who is Jesus really? I need to listen to God's word for that. But also we need the work of the spirit. Holy Spirit, help me understand who Jesus is. Help me trust in him. Help me worship him. To have faith in the Jesus of the gospel, we need the word of God and we need the spirit of God. And John says, if you put your faith in Jesus, you will discover all that he has won for you. Again, there's a refrain in this, in this passage about victory and overcoming, which is not language you probably use that much. There's, there's, a, there's a church on Queen's Road that calls itself the overcomers. Um, it's, it's a really triumphant statement, and, and actually they get it from here. But we're not quite sure what to do with it. But I think what John's really telling us here is that faith in the Jesus of the gospel, it gives us victory over sin and death and eternal life with the living God. And he's encouraging us. This is the life Jesus has won for you. So what is faith? How do we access these victories that Jesus has won for us? Well, faith is very simply holding out our empty hands to God and saying, I can't save myself. I I don't love you the way I should. I don't love people the way I should. Faith isn't about, oh, look how much faith I have, Lord. Faith is saying, it's kind of collapsing on Jesus and saying, I, I can't save myself. Please help me. We admit our need. We ask him to forgive us. Faith is holding our empty hands and receiving salvation as a gift. Because that's what it is, says John. It's a gift won for you by Jesus. A gift he wants to share with you. And the only qualification is to have faith in him. And what is the result of faith? John says it's, it's victory over sin and death. Look at verses four and five. He says, everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Remember who John's writing to. He's writing to these guys who feel really weak and beleaguered and a bit rubbish. And if you said to them, how victorious do you feel right now, Christians? They would say, not very. Not very victorious at all. Maybe it's a bit like the, the ball's bouncing and they're, they're missing them and they're just not, they're not managing. They say, well, we don't feel victorious because people have left. We don't feel victorious because the world says we're foolish. We don't feel victorious, John. But it's like John is challenging them. The victory you get to share in is not one you've won. It's one that Jesus has won. This is the victory that's overcome the world, says John. Even our faith, it's something you receive by faith. Jesus, I can't defeat sin and death. I am powerless in front of them, but you have defeated them at the cross and the resurrection. And amazingly, you want to share that victory with me. 
It's like John's challenging his readers. You've been set free from the world. You've been set free from the power of sin and death. God has given you new birth, new life, new desires, new power to obey him and love your brothers and sisters. So go to him by faith with empty hands and say, Jesus, change me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, make me more like you. And when John says that, I get really nervous. I think, John, are you over-promising? Because I've been a Christian for a while, and I don't feel victorious a lot of the time. And I'm very aware of my sin and my failures and my weakness, just like John's readers are aware of that. I wonder if John might say to me as this old eyewitness of Jesus, your problem is you're looking at yourself. Your problem is you think it's about your performance and your love and your obedience. Ultimately, it's about Jesus' performance, his love, his obedience, and all that he shares with you. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith that we receive with, with empty hands. Actually, what John would say to us is, look at Jesus. Keep looking at him. Remain in him. And he will share his victory with you. Now, that victory is not going to be 100% and total until the new creation. Think back to chapter 1. We can't claim to be without sin now. We need to keep going to Jesus. But John is confident that if we do go to Jesus individually and corporately, Jesus has the power to change us. Sorry, power to change us. And that's because he's won the victory already. Again, we're taking bread and wine in a bit. This is about the victory of Jesus. And it didn't look like a victory. It looked like defeat. It looked like failure. It looked like Jesus had lost and his enemies had won and they were gloating as he hung on that cross. But amazingly, he was winning the victory over sin and death that he now shares with us. John's saying, believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, and he will help you live out that victory in your life. You're going to mess up sometimes. You're going to sin. That's why we still need the mercy of Jesus. But Jesus is able to change us as we come to him with empty hands and say, Lord, I can't do it. Help me today. Even I want to say the last few weeks and months, I've been meeting with people in church who've been, who've been struggling in our church family. And it's always scary to say, well, let's pray about it. Because <laughs> you go, well, what if it doesn't work? There was a massive voice in my head. Yeah, it's not going to work though. But actually, I can testify today that I have seen God answer prayers in those situations. Not often the way I think he's going to, but he's active and he's living. He's the son of God who has won the victory and shares the victory with us. The challenge here is, are we going to bring our needs to him together and individually? Are we going to pray on our own? Are we going to ask other people to pray for us? I want to believe that you have won the victory, Lord Jesus. Help me to live for you. Help me to keep trusting in you, to holding out those empty hands because I cannot do it on my own but you promise to meet my needs because of who you are and what you have won 
for us. Faith in Jesus gives us victory over sin and death. Incomplete until the new creation, and then it will be gloriously complete. But Jesus has the power to change us. Will we ask him to, will we come to him with empty hands and say, change me, Lord? And the power to change us really comes from the other thing that John emphasizes, our last thing, which is faith in Jesus gives us eternal life with the living God. And, and if we kind of sometimes think, what's faith? We're kind of a bit, is it this vague feeling? No, it's something solid. It's, it's trust in a person and what he's done. Eternal life is life with a person and who he is. John spells out verses 11 to 12, what the eternal life is that Jesus offers us. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. It's through faith in him. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. He says, remain in Jesus, he says. And if we want, to, want to, an even clearer definition of eternal life, we go to John's gospel, the other book that John wrote, and he tells us eternal life. This is eternal life, says Jesus, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing and enjoying relationship with the living God here and now and in the future. It's knowing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Eternal life is not being alone anymore. Remember, these, these, these Christians John's writing to, they feel beleaguered. They feel weak. They feel discouraged. And he says, no, you've got eternal life. The living God is with you. The God who is light is with you to lead you through the darkness. The God who is love is with you, lavishing his love on you. Not because you deserve it, but because he is love. Eternal life, it's a gift God gives us. It's found in Jesus. It starts now and it lasts forever. John's reminding us here, the greatest gift God can give us is himself. That's what we remember at Christmas. The word became flesh and drew near to us. The greatest gift the God of the universe can give us is himself. And so that's what he's done. The God who is light has come near. The God who is love has come near. The God who is greater than our hearts has come near in the person of Jesus and given us eternal life. Why does faith in Jesus matter so much? It's because through faith in Jesus, we have victory over sin and death. We can say no to sin and selfishness. We can be forgiven when we fail, and he can pick us up and keep us going. And through faith in Jesus, we have eternal life with the living God who loves us perfectly. And faith in Jesus, I just keep coming back to that definition. It's coming to God with empty hands and receiving it as a gift. It's collapsing on him saying, Lord, I cannot save myself. Save me because of what your son has achieved for me. John wants his readers to remain in Jesus, to keep trusting in Jesus, to remember who Jesus is and what he's done, to not just look at themselves and their performance, but to look at Jesus and his victory. And actually bread and wine is a huge part of that. In a few moments, we're going to take bread and wine. And again, there's a sense of this, this picture of the gospel. We're receiving 
from Jesus, what we, what we couldn't earn. With empty hands, we take the bread that reminds us of his body broken for us. We take the cup reminding us of his blood shed for us. And we say, Jesus, thank you. And keep me trusting in you for another day, for another week, for another season. Jesus wants to help us remain in him. He's given us everything we need to do that. Bread, wine, his word, his spirit, one another. So John urges us, remain in him. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Verse four, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father God, you call on us in this bit of your word to have faith in your son, Jesus. And Lord, you know that we struggle to live by faith and not by sight. What we see seems bigger, more real, more frightening sometimes, more attractive at other times. Father, by the work of your spirit, help us to have eyes that see Jesus, the Christ the son of God, the one who came by water and by blood, the one who stands with us in our failures and who sheds his blood to wash us clean. Lord Jesus, help us to look at you more than ourselves, to look to your victory on the cross rather than our own performance and to take heart that that's the victory you share with us. And we now have your relationship with your father. We get to cry out, Abba, Father, help us in the confidence that you hear us. Lord Jesus, keep us trusting in you. Keep us remaining in you. Keep us depending on your victory. Keep us living by faith this week. And Lord, help us to spur one another on as well. Lord, we find it hard. And in a sense, none of us is meant to live for you on our own. You've given us each other. And I pray this morning, you would lead us to encourage other people to love them in this short time. And then throughout this week that we would look to one another. We would love one another. And we pray for one another that we will keep living by faith for another week as we move day by day closer to the day when our faith is going to be replaced by sight. And we will see Jesus as he is. And we'll be like him. Father God, we ask you to keep us trusting in your son until that day. In his name we ask it. Amen.